Thanks for joining us for this week's message here at NAPNAS. We're glad you could tune in with us. We pray that as you listen, you walk away from this podcast encouraged, inspired, and uplifted by the power of God and His Word. Great to see you today. Happy Father's Day. Uh, Just can't continue to affirm enough how um, cool the design of God with the family unit and the ability for uh, uh, the structure of father and mother. And I tell you what, as long as, as, long as we're here doing this, we're going to keep affirming the value of our fathers and uh, how, uh, how much they mean in our, uh, in our culture and in our lives and our families and the kingdom. And so uh, happy Father's Day to you out there. Uh, I got two uh, gift cards uh, were given out today. They, I don't know where they're doing it. They're doing it somewhere, but they're drawn. And so today, Eric Murray and Terry Knapp. Terry Knapp. So afterwards, you guys can grab those, uh, those gift cards. I had a little bit of a humbling experience yesterday. I thought it was funny, but um, I went to Chief to... Uh, uh, you know, Father's Day, it's like, where do you want to eat? Uh, we'll go wherever you want to go. I was like, I don't want to drive. I just didn't feel like driving today. And, and um, so I'm like, I'm just going to go to Chief. I, my favorite meal in the world is steak. Um, so I'm thinking, you know what? I'm just going to go to Chief, find some really good steaks. And I've been charcoaling a lot lately, so I'm just going to charcoal steaks. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful afternoon. I get there, though, and I'm like, ah. They don't really have what I want, you know. I just didn't want to. And so I'm like, I, this is an empty trip. I like their cinnamon rolls. I'm like, hey, I'm just going to treat myself to some cinnamon rolls tomorrow morning, you know. So I buy some cinnamon rolls. I, I'm walking toward the front. And the other thing that crosses my mind is I really like Chief's cookie cakes. Are you with me there? Have you had Chief's cookie cakes? Maybe you need to go try them, all right? So uh, the ones with the frosting that are over the whole thing, right? Not just the frosting on the outside. That's not, that's not legit, okay? And um, so I grabbed the top one, uh, and I knew my wife, would, if, she, if I would say, hey, I would like a cookie cake, she would have driven back and, and grabbed it. And so, so I just grabbed the top one that happened to say, number one, dad. <laughs> so I get in line. And uh, I'm like, eh, no one knows. No one knows why I'm buying this. Anything is for my dad, whatever. You know, no big deal. And lo and behold, Cassie Flooring's right next to me in line. And so we're chatting for a moment. In my mind, I'm like, dude, bag that, bag that. You know, like, <laughs> I don't want her to see. Because, of course, inevitably, she's like, hey, is your dad in town? <laughs> you getting this for your dad? I'm like, no, actually, that's for me. <laughs> So it's totally humiliating, and then she, of course, had to tell the cashier, yeah, this guy's my pastor, and uh, man, what an ego trip guy, right? Buying your own Father's Day cake that says number one dad. But um, again, guys, we just appreciate you so much. Thank you for what you're doing. And I know a lot of what you do is unseen, and a lot of times it seems like it's unnoticed, but it is invaluable, invaluable in your kids' lives, and so thank you. So we're in this, we're thinking through... How in the world do I live in the world? Um, this has been the, 
one of the issues that's always been existent in the church since Jesus left his church, uh, or he didn't leave his church, but he left and the Holy Spirit is leading his church. And how in the world, what is my relationship with this world I live in, right? And so we've, we, as we have looked at what Jesus has said the first week, we've realized that a Jesus follower's relationship with the world is a live in, not of, sent into. A lot of times the, the cliche in Christian circles for years has been live in, not of, right? The more I got to looking at that and thinking about that, I realized that Jesus did say, hey, we live in the world. This world is full of trouble. It's fallen, but be not of it. And what it means by being not of it is the values that this fallen world has espoused, the things they've lifted up, what they think are important, their whole mindset that this is all you have and you got to live to the fullest regardless of how it affects your neighbor or your friends or your relationship. Just get all you can get, dog eat dog kind of mentality, right? The values, the systems of this world. He says, you're not of that. Through my word, I am calling you to what was my original design and purpose. So you live in here, but you're living not of the world's values, but of mine. But yet then he says, you know what, though? This fallen, broken, desperate world that's chaotic and messed up, it needs my word. And so I need to send you back into it. So live in, not of sin. And two is the relationship that a believer has with the world as Jesus presented it. Um, and you know what? The word clearly shows us that this has been the thing that Christians have wrestled with since the beginning of the church. How do I navigate this? What do I do with this? And so Paul is writing to churches. One in particular, Ephesus and the surrounding churches there. And this is on his mind. It's on the Spirit's heart to communicate through Paul there are some things you need to understand about how a believer lives in this world. How you uh, figure out what it looks like to be the kingdom in this world. And so we've looked at Ephesians the last two weeks um, to kind of understand what are some of the things that are in play. And they're so relevant, right? Last week we talked about um, uh, prejudice. Like the kingdom is just, the prejudice does not exist, it destroys any kind of prejudice that would have, would have existed then and still exists today. Because guess what? If there's a fallen world and there's sin, one of the things that sin manifests itself with is in prejudice. Whether it be ethnicities, whether it be class, social class, whether it be economic status, whether it be any of those things, sinful people, pride rises up and it makes us feel better to think we are better or superior than somebody. That's just sin. And the kingdom comes along and says, nah, uh, 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 uh. there is no Jew, Gentile. Slave, free, male, female. I mean, he's just breaking down all of the walls that societies build up and cultures build up. Talked first week about discernment, about God's spirit giving us the spirit of revelation and wisdom and opening the eyes of our heart to, to be able to navigate through this. But this, what I want to talk about today, I kind of want to set a narrative that existed before Paul wrote what he did to the Ephesians, or as he was writing to other churches, there is this key narrative that exists. How we live in, not of, sent into. 
the prayer that Justin read earlier that Jesus prayed. Remember Thursday night, last supper, headed to Gethsemane. Last words, last thoughts, weighty stuff. And he's praying for the disciples and for us. If you remember what is on his heart, what is on the heart of God before the cross? This is, this is central to what is on his heart. He prays this. My prayer is not for them alone, the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. We generate, you know, it, the, the message has continued from the apostles all the way down to us. He's praying with us in mind that night. And he prays this. I, my that I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. One is on the heart of God, always. It's the heartbeat of God, one. He continues, he says, I have given them the glory that you have gave me. And Jesus is the epitome of the glory of God. I've showed them who you are. Through my life, my teaching, my example, my love, that's the glory of God. I've displayed that to them, Father. And I pray that they may be one as we are one. Just like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are together in fellowship, in relationship, I pray that they my believers might experience that kind of cohesiveness. In them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved me even as as you have loved me. So that the world may believe, so that the world might know. How's that going to happen when God's people, God's church exist in this complete unity that shows the remarkable power of the grace of God, which takes people from all different backgrounds, all different ethnicities, all different viewpoints, all different traditions, all different belief systems, and melts them into one cohesive a body that lives for one thing above everything else, and that is the mission of Jesus Christ, which is his gospel. That's what he prays. And the world is going to know, and the world is going to believe when they look at this organism, this living organism, that looks so different than the rest of the world. Because the rest of the world is dog-eat-dog. Wars and rumors of wars. Also, you, you see it, right? We know it. We've seen it. We've lived in it. It's been, it's been since the beginning of the fallen time. And what's startling remarkable, what's startlingly remarkable in the middle of that is a group of people that come together. And he says, that's how the world is going to know. That's how the world is going to believe when they see my grace bringing you together. It's why like Paul, he's talking about this when he's writing to Corinth, this really powerful church that had a lot of potential, but they just couldn't get on the same page on so many things. And he writes this, I appeal to you, I beg you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say. 
and that there be no divisions among you so that you might be perfectly united in mind and thought. Look at what he's saying to the church in Rome, to the Romans. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You got to understand that in Romans, they're quite literally in a food fight. Um, if you remember what they were bickering over or trying to figure out and what the different viewpoints. And he's saying, listen, guys, what matters, matters, matters. What's on my heart? And I'm begging you, I'm urging you. Strong words. Like, not just, hey, I kind of suggest this. It's like in your face, like you gotta do this. And it's not just from an authoritarian position. It's like, a, I am just like crying almost before you begging you, pleading with you, stay together, be together, don't break unity. So that's this ongoing narrative, right, of the church. Jesus is praying it, Paul's writing it, encouraging, urging, exhorting, all these different churches. It's a theme of the New Testament. It's kind of this better together. Always designed that way, better together. Reminded me of a scene from Gladiator. I don't know if you've watched the movie. I just realized as I was talking in first service, it's been 20 years, I think, since that movie came out. I am feeling so old. Some of you weren't even born in that movie. Can you remember the movie Gladiator, right? Uh, fame, uh, the, the esteemed Roman general who was probably destined to be the emperor in that story, Maximus. And the emperor dies, and the son distrust and is threatened by Maximus and so instead of moving on he is uh he's tried he was he tried to eliminate him right remember he tried to kill him uh he ends up being a slave and um he exists as a slave until he realizes he's going to do something about the condition he's in you remember that story so he becomes a gladiator and through being through fighting in these fights he gains um popularity he, and you can tell that the, 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 the focus of the movie is he is going to have an opportunity to strike back against this injustice through this platform of being a gladiator. If you remember the scenes from the Colosseum and the, how the movies portray him too, is, is they would send these guys out and it was sport. I mean, we, we, you know, we talk about hitting somebody, they're carrying a football, and, and how rough that is. Well, man, this was life and death. That's, that's their entertainment, which is a picture of that culture in that day, right? How depraved it was. But, I mean, they, you just went to, to see somebody die, to see peoples die. And uh, there's that one scene where he's finally in, a, in an arena where he's going to be able to, to do something about the injustice. And... As his team of men, they move out into the arena and they're waiting as they would open those doors or they would have hatches where tigers would jump out to try to eat them or they would have chariots, people, fighters that would, you know what I'm talking about. And they're standing back to back and the thing he says before they go into the arena is on the ramp, he says, whatever we do, stay together. And he gets out there and they're back to back and he says, whatever comes out of that gate, stay together together and whatever came out of that gate I think it was like chariots and people shooting arrows at him just weird stuff right 
people with spikes and all this stuff. And he keeps saying, stay together, stay together, stay together. Don't, don't scatter, don't scatter. Because, I mean, you're like, all this is coming out, stay together. One, remember one guy is like, he can't, he can't hold it. He's like, ah. And he's just, he's just eliminated, killed immediately when he scatters. Stay together, stay together. Until that last moment, right at the right time, he says now. And they fight and they win in that arena. I've never forgot, whatever comes out of that gate, stay together. That's the idea here, that Paul is trying so hard to echo Jesus' mission that we are better together. The intent of God was to keep his church together. Paul Bilheimer might be very well right when he says, the continuous and widespread fragmentation of the church has been the scandal of the ages. We always are hearing about a lot of scandals, right? Turn on the news, this scandal. Do you know this person, this scandal, this, all this. Very well, possibly in God's eyes, the biggest scandal of all of the ages since he ascended is the fragmentation of his church. Absolutely scandalous to see his intent was one. And now there's how many hundreds of denominations that exist even in our just United States? Like, even the church has trouble getting along so often. That's scandalous in God's eyes. I, I think he's right. It's been Satan's master strategy. The spirit of disunity, I'm quoting Bill Heimer, probably has caused more souls to be lost than any other sin combined. Jesus said, a house divided cannot stand, it cannot last. And the same is true for the church. I mean, think about this. This is a... Uh, your garden variety picture of Jesus, right? A painting that's kind of, I don't know, this isn't a, doesn't look like a famous painting to me, but it's a picture, right? Last three or 400 years, this is how we've characterized Jesus in art, right? When you walk through the pearly gates, don't look for this guy. Probably didn't look like this. But that's how we understand him to look like, right? Just think about this. This is what the world needs. Just follow me. I'm not saying this. Don't hold me to this guy. This is what the world needs to see, right? We believe that. We know that. Amen? We need to see Jesus. Jesus. But what happens with this church is we, we become divided. We get crossed up. We separate. We argue. We bicker. We don't stay together on the same page. And so often, this is what the world ends up seeing when they look at the church. Bits and pieces, some kind of truth here and there, but no real power, no real uh, togetherness, no real like, wow, those people are just loving one another, bearing one another's burdens. They are one anothering one another. And it's such a powerful thing. Look at their just on point and on mission. Normally what they see is this a lot of times, right? And so the world can't see and the world can't believe because we don't have unity. What we need to keep focused on is there's one enemy and there's one mission. There's one enemy and there's one mission. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Your neighbor's not your enemy. 
The church down the street is not our enemy. The person who looks different, votes different, and acts different than you is not truly your enemy. There's one enemy. Amen. There's one mission. That's to be the city on a hill. (laughs) City on a hill. The light of the world, the salt of the earth. The thing that shows and proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. One enemy, one mission. I don't need to tell you that life is difficult enough as it is to try to stay together. It just is. But then 2020 has happened. And it's so much more difficult. Is it not? Anybody ever lived through anything like this? No, I've talked to you. Some of you that are uh, senior, older than me, seen a lot more. You're like, no, I've never seen anything like this. It's already hard enough. And then a word nobody recognized, COVID. Now we all know what it is, right? And what's happened with COVID? What happens with a fallen world? We see things different. We polarize. And then we fight. Every day, you turn on whatever news or whatever thing, and people are fighting about COVID. And we all have different opinions about it, do we not? We all see it different. It means something different to us in so many different ways. And when there's differences of opinions, what can so easily happen? Division, discord, right? And our world is fighting about this. Throw that into the mix of an already unbelievably contentious political scene, right? I've been around 41 years. I've never seen it anywhere. Like, this is off it's just off the rails polarized fighting about 50 and 50 percent in our country then to just throw a little bit more gasoline on the fire a few weeks ago we recognize there's still a lot of discord that exist. And we have been exposed to a lot, a lot of things that have just amplified what is the reality that our world, our world is full of discord. What are we going to do about that? How are we going to handle that? How are we going to react? I bet you if we sat down and talked or you had a chance, we had time and a forum, there would probably be about seven different approaches to COVID that exist in this room right now. Opinions. How are we going to handle that and be the one that Jesus called us to be? Are we going to do that? Are we going to be able to do that? Right? Because whatever's going on, he's still calling us to stick together. To be better together. To believe and know something's greater than whatever this world is offering. I I like for me what the church has 
consistently turn to, the words of Augustine. This isn't in the Bible, but the theologian Augustine kind of developed this, and it's been a guiding light for us for well over a thousand years. It's kind of this principle. In this matter of staying one, of hearing Jesus' prayer and Paul's admonitions, the Spirit's heart for his church. In essentials, unity. Essentials. Jesus, the divine Son of God, the Savior of the world, the only hope of the world. The fact that what you and I need more than anything else is just Jesus. I mean, we need his love and mercy and grace always, continually. He is what we need. That's essential. The triune nature of our God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The reliability, the trustworthiness of his word that tells us everything we need to know about salvation and how to live out in this world. The promises of God for here, now, and in the future. Those are essential things. The church that he's brought together and its mission in the world, the gospel, those are essential things. I will not ever, 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 ever break fellowship over unity. Can't, won't. And if you can't be there, then we can't, right? And essentials, unity. And non-essentials, liberty. That the framework of how we interact with one another and some guiding words from Scripture are that, guess what? Not everybody's going to see everything the same that are non-essential. You know, Paul and Peter couldn't get on the same page about John Mark, right? No, that wasn't, yeah, no, Paul and Barnabas, sorry, about John Mark. Paul and Peter couldn't get on the same page in Galatians about how to interact with Jew and Gentile, right? There's always been some non-essential things. All of us have different ways that we um, see things. What's amazing about the body of Christ is we love one another so much that in non-essential issues, we give each other liberty. Breathe, man. Breathe. Guess what is a non-essential? How you handle COVID. Amen? Amen. Okay, I didn't know if you were like, I think this is pretty basic. I'm just trying to remind you, and through the help of the Spirit, concrete it in our heart and mind. Because guess what? How you handle COVID out there is a massive issue. Wouldn't it be so cool? This church and this community, this group of people just decided, you know what? You handle COVID differently than I do. I don't care. You're still my brother. You're my sister. We're together in the essential mission, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm gonna still be your brother or sister and I'm gonna one another, one another, or I'm gonna one another you. Right? I'm not going to lose my identity. We're not going to lose our identity even as we wrestle with non-essential issues. Give each other liberty. Let me tell you, there's no moral authority in this. I've heard moral authority on both sides. Like, well, I don't even know if you're a Christian if you do this or you're, 
What? The moral authority is the gospel. And the gospel really doesn't have anything to say about how you handle COVID. Amen? That's where the moral authority lists. Let each other breathe. Have liberty. And of course, so beautifully he writes, but in all things. Love. Charity, that's that old school King James word, isn't it? 1611. Charity. Love one another. And so that's how Paul, it's what's on his mind as he begins chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Can I speed through this? Oh, okay. I'll take my time. No lunch plans for Father's Day. One, he's saying, I'm a prisoner. Listen, if I, I'm in the worst situation, I'm still living this out. I'm walking worthy. This is applicable to all times, all periods. Uh, what I'm telling you, walk worthy, weighty is the idea here. Worthy is uh, your walk matches your talk. It's a scale word. It's like just walk worthy, live a weighty life that means something. You walk the walk and you t- as you talk the talk. I urge you, I beg you, here's that word again. This is really important to God. He says this, be humble, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in You see, again, this is the contrast of how do I live in, not of, sin into. The world fights. The world one-ups one another. The world wants to live superior in so many ways. The kingdom of God is this. Making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We are centered around one thing. One body, one spirit, one God, Father of all, one Lord, one baptism. This is it. And this is how we navigate through. And he actually helps us understand what's going to make that happen. It's with a mind that is humble, a life that is humble. That word humility is to think of yourself as unimportant. Now what I mean by that is, Obviously made in the image of God. But it probably should be not as, not as any more important than anybody else. I love, look at Paul. I mean, just, you guys see how this just fits and flows together so perfectly? Like I've just given you Corinthians, Romans, John. All just saying the same thing in different ways. My joy, I want it to be complete by you being like-minded. There's that unity. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. This is what destroys one. Is when people aren't humble. Or rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of You know, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less and thinking of others more. 
Humility means I don't have to have the loudest voice in the room. Pride always is trying to figure out how can I leverage you for my advantage? Humility tries to figure out how can I leverage me for your advantage? It's amazing. Be humble. To be one calls you and I to a life of humility. It's the only way it's going to work. I don't value myself more than I value you. That's a lot easy. That's, that's really easy for me to say that up here. That's a lot harder to live. But it is the call, the heart of God for his people to create this remarkable, remarkable living organism, the church, that the world sees and believes in the power of the gospel because of how we live with one another. It's humility. It's gentleness. This gentleness is, I, I like, sometimes it's better to understand what it's not than what it is. Just gentleness is an opposite of a person who is vengeful, who seeks revenge, who wants retaliation, who's vindictive, who harbors bitterness or resentment or reacts against others. It's actually this kind of word for meekness. Meekness is someone who could do something but chooses not to. Power under control. It's like a cult that runs wild. Then it's tamed. It still has the power, but now it's controlled. It's directed in the right way. Gentleness is, yeah, I could be vindictive. Yeah, I could lash back. Yes, I could do this or that, but I choose not to, to have a heart of gentleness. Patience is the next word. I talked about before, hupomone, which is I need to be patient in the middle of my trial. Well, there's another word in the New Testament used for patience. It's this word, and it's I need to be patient with people. <laughs> Amen? Best way to, realize, to understand this word is just, it's the word they use that after they uh, uh, invented dynamite, they put a long fuse Right? You don't want to have a short fuse with dynamite. Right? You want a long fuse. Let it burn off for a while and you get out of the way. That's the word here. Quite simply, do I have a long fuse with people? Lord, help me. But for this to be one... And for this to show the world something that's so remarkable, it calls you and I to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought, to value everybody, to be gentle, controlled in our responses, and to have patience. That's hard. Amen? You know who I have to live with. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's really the other way around. That's true. There's some truth to that. Amen. I mean, that's just a personal illustration, but my wife is, she exemplifies this word. And with me too. And what's made the health of our marriage. See what I mean? Like, when you live with that, it just makes the, the whole better. Guys, we have an opportunity right now. 
I can't tell you this enough. In the middle of a just a war zone out there. To be modeling something that the world has said, wow, I don't know what they're doing, but it's different than everything else I'm seeing. There's got to be something to who they worship, who they follow, who they serve. And it takes patience on our part, the long fuse. And in the middle of this, differences on COVID and just the regular stuff we're always have different opinions about. Have a long fuse. Have a long fuse. Or maybe just go ahead and cut that fuse off. Amen? Just cut it off. Don't even let it burn. Don't even let it blow up. The last thing is, though, for bearing in love. The word here for bearing is the idea to suppress. It's the idea of throwing a blanket. It exactly mimics what Peter talked about. Love covers A multitude of sin. Proverbs, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sin. It's this idea, hey, not only can I endure this, not only can I take it from you, the difference of opinion, but I can love you in the middle of it. And he says that As we have this attitude, we then make every effort. We train. We're intentional about keeping the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. Peace is not the absence of conflict, right? Peace is reconciliation. Some people say, well, I'm just going to keep the peace. You know, you've met those people like, I ain't saying nothing. I'm just keeping the peace. You didn't really keep any peace. You just avoided what was there. Peace is actually reconciling the differences of opinions, right? All right, you think this way, or you have this attitude, I have this attitude, let's fix this. Then all married people said amen. You're not really keeping the peace, amen? You're just avoiding it because it's coming up sometime later down the road. Reconciliation. I will make every effort to keep this unity as the Spirit helps me to keep peace with you. So if I feel like, hey, I just feel like there's something between us, making every effort calls me to initiate a conversation. Hey, I just want to make sure we're okay. I know we disagree about that, but I just want to make sure we're okay. That doesn't mean that you agree on everything, but it means you have unity and fellowship. You are one. Families don't just, you know, we just don't agree on everything, but we're still family. We're still one. That's what this means. This is how, if we'll follow the life of humility, gentleness, patience, forbearing in love, the one that Jesus prayed for and longs for can happen. And this is basically what I would just simply say. Staying committed to one another is the only way to bring the kingdom. I mean that. I look at the book of Acts, how they were, they just, they changed the world, started to change the world. What was a common phrase? 
They were all in one accord. The power of God's spirit to change the world for Jesus Christ and bring the kingdom happened when God's people stayed together. And when they were together, the spirit did miraculous things through them. One means power in the spirit. And I would say this, just closing. When the church is one, the world sees Jesus. Instead of this, I'm not sure what that's about. All I hear about is what you guys are against, not what you're for. So many different things we could say about what the world sees the church as. It's kind of like this. When we're together, we look like, I'm sorry, I don't have a picture of the whole Jesus. They see him. They see him. He prayed, if you're one, the world might see, might know, the world might believe that I am the one. This has been on my heart. There's no class handbook for pastoring through a pandemic. But I know, God, just keep us together. We're not going to agree about some of this stuff. No way. That's okay. We do have to be united in the gospel, in the work of God in our life, the spirit, and the mission of Christ. Keep us there. Keep us one. I'm telling you, I feel like in this increasingly dark world, the church has an opportunity to model something. Ben always says, you know, what is it you say about the dark and the light? The light that shines furthest shines brightest at home. The light that shines furthest shines brightest at home. We can show our community something that's different. What is that? That's Jesus. I know we don't have a lot of racial issues here. They might exist, but they're not on our front page as much, right? In Napoleon, we have a lot of prejudices, though. And racism is included in that. We can model something that the church should have always been modeling. Right? One. <laughs> we just have so many opportunities. If we'll stay together, we're better together. Let's sing as we go. Just this little chorus. Thanks again for listening in today. And thanks to those who give so faithfully so that together we can continue to be the light of Christ in this generation as you sow into the life and mission here at NAPNES. If you feel led to give or to learn more about NAPNAS, simply head to napnas.org. There, you'll find previous messages as well as everything going on in the life of the church. And if you found value in today's message, would you share this with a friend or on social? Because it is together that we exist to help people take their next steps in a transforming relationship with the Prince of Peace and King of Hope, Jesus Christ.